Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I'm here with Jen. Jen Maleka supports busy, health-minded professionals in taking back control of their health by giving them access to the right lab tests and resources to find the missing pieces of their health puzzle so they can actually fix what is, going, what is wrong and get back to feeling like themselves again. Using over a decade of personal training experience, training in functional diagnostic nutrition and transformational coaching, she creates personalized health-building programs for clients that are realistic and sustainable for long lasting results, which is really important. I feel like a lot of times people just want the quick results, like the now, here, quick fix. No, Mm -hmm. it's not sustainable. And that empower them to be the boss of their own health. If you're ready to look at the big picture of your health, not just one disconnected piece at a time, to embrace healthy as a way of being, and stop settling for anything less than you deserve when it comes to your health and happiness, then Jen is your woman. So Jen, I would love to, we've had a couple of health professionals on the podcast. And what I'm most fascinated on is hearing people's story behind where they got where they are today, because there's always a story. And, you know, we see these pretty pictures on Facebook and Instagram and we're like, that's nice. But did you ever struggle? Did you ever have any? (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your story leading up to where you are today. Yeah. I mean, I've struggled quite a few times, which is exactly why I'm here today. And where I'm like, where do I start? You know, you want me to start in second grade? Cause that's probably where it really all started. Um, no, but just, you know, I think that all of us go through an evolution in our health. And at some point in time, um, most of us wake up and go look in the mirror and like, look at ourselves and go, what the heck happened? Do you know, like, where's the person that I know that I used to be? And I definitely had that that started to happen for me in my twenties and I'd always been like an active person. I played sports in high school, um, you know, excelled in school and all those things. And then I started to just really struggle with brain fog. I started to develop allergies and my first kind of rock bottom struggle moment was when I was diagnosed with skin cancer at a really young age. So I was diagnosed with skin cancer around the age of 25 and it was not something that was hereditary in my family. Nobody in my family had any kind of related cancers. And I was working in the health and wellness industry at the time. And so it was a little bit baffling to me about, well, I I was the healthiest person that I knew, like, how did I get this skin cancer? And that's where I really dove into functional medicine and, and realized that even though I looked perfect or normal on paper, according to my general physician, my body was really a mess on the inside. And I had a lot of imbalances that were going on. My liver was sluggish and overloaded. I had a lot of cellular DNA damage that was happening, a lot of inflammation. And that's really what sparked my journey um, to start paying more attention to my body, to understand holistic health practices, functional health practices a little bit more. And I'm happy to say that I've been skin cancer free now for um, 10 years, almost at this point in time, it never, never came back. So that was exciting. So there I was trucking along, like feeling super awesome. And 
in 2014, my health started going backwards again and I started gaining weight and grinding my teeth. And I do a lot of, uh, gut health testing with stool samples and I had parasites and bacteria and yeast that was going on. And over the course of two years, I gained about 15 pounds and I just didn't feel like myself again. And I had all kinds of crazy hormonal issues that were happening, uh, 12 day periods and cystic acne. I'd never had acne before in my life and come to find out we had toxic mold in our home that I discovered. And um, after discovering the toxic mold, I found out that I was estrogen dominant. And then a little bit later found out that I had Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid disorder as a result of just the toxins and the imbalances that were going on in my body. So definitely struggled with that because that made me, I had to go even deeper and say, okay, the, the level of my definition of what healthy is right now is actually not enough. I had to, to really dive deeper and refine my diet again and, and relook at my self-care and how I was approaching health in order to bring my body back from the burden that had, it had been experiencing for such a long time. And that, you know, with that, I faced so many um, different new challenges around like now I have a meditation practice in place that I never had before. And it really promoted a lot of spiritual growth for me as well as um, letting go of my old mentality around exercise and really just um, understanding more of what my body, body needed in terms of movement and not going to the gym and just hitting it as hard as I could and uh, looking at food differently as well and my alcohol consumption and all those things. So I would say that, you know, even today, now that I'm in remission and I feel healthy, it's never perfect. There's always a struggle that we can come up with. Um, and it's a constant practice, um, always to just, you know, when the little things come up, the, the inside voice, the chatter, the temptations, like constantly like working in that space, just to be in connection with my body all the time to, to be trying, doing the best that I can at any given moment, just to support my health with where I am today. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know like, I was a fitness coach for a while and I realized there's, we think it's just like, it's just about working out nutrition, but there's so many other nuances and it's kind of exhausting sometimes because you're like, I'm doing the best I can. I don't even know what to do now. So what are some of like the red flags for people who are listening and who are thinking like, well, I, th I think I'm healthy, but maybe they're not quite as healthy as they think they are. Mm -hmm. I love that you asked that question because sometimes those, the signs seem to be so subtle and what we deem as normal is not actually normal. It's just common. So I see women in particularly, they get stuck into this mindset of, oh, I've reached that age. I'm in my mid thirties or approaching my forties or my fifties. My hormones are changing. That's just the way of life. And I can tell you that it's not. Um, so you know, some of the subtle things that we tend to just kind of settle for are like, you know, even uh, painful or irregular periods or any type of um, issues with our menstrual cycle at all, whether it's long or it's short or you have cramps or those types of things. Those are, you know, the beginning signs of, of letting you know that there's a hormone imbalance in place. Um, if you struggle with fatigue, there's so many people that I struggle with fatigue and they just think that it's a factor of getting older or that they have kids so they don't sleep. And, and sure, those things are contributing factors, but 
ultimately when you have chronic fatigue, that's not relieved by a good night's sleep. And that's a surefire sign that there's something not right. Um, any, you know, conditions that we're diagnosed with are not normal either. They're common. So every single health condition that you might have is a result of stress and inflammation that's going on in the body. So when we are living our best life and we're providing our body with the things that it needs, we won't have chronic stress and inflammation that is then triggering chronic disease like high blood pressure, cholesterol, um, you know, the hormone imbalances, those types of things as well. Uh, weight is a big one, right? So I say that weight is a meter to understand whether the systems of the body are, work, are working or not working together. So if you have weight loss resistance or you've been gaining weight over a period of time or you struggle to keep it off, that, that's a sign that there's something that's definitely not right. Uh, you know, people I talk to a lot of times, they have struggle, they struggle focusing at work or being clear-minded, they're forgetful. So we call that brain fog that kind of comes under the umbrella of brain fog. And those are little things that we tend to shrug off and that we just say, well, I'm, again, I'm just getting older. I'm, I'm losing my memory as a result of that. Uh, acne, skin rashes, you know, pretty much anything that just doesn't feel right in your body is a sign that like that's your body talking to you and letting you know that it, it needs something from you. It needs some attention. And symptoms are the last thing to show up when the chaos or dysfunction has already set in internally with us. What were the biggest things that you, or what were the biggest shifts that you made in your health practice? Uh, you know, when you started to notice these symptoms, what were the, the things that made the most dramatic difference for you? Because like I, I said earlier, you know, we're all like, oh yeah, I can work out and I can eat right. Maybe I can meditate every day. I can definitely get more sleep. But then there's these other things that we completely overlook. And um, I'd see it a lot with when I was a fitness coach with the, the people I was coaching where they're doing everything they could and nothing's making a difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Nothing's making a difference. And they got, they would get very like overwhelmed, be like, well, why should I even like do this if it's not really making a difference anyways? Mm -hmm. So in my own personal journey, like the number, the first thing was like figuring out foods were, were right for my body. So I always talk about there's a difference between eating healthy and eating right for your body. Eating right for your body will incorporate healthy foods, but not every healthy food is right for your body. And, and who defines what healthy food really is anyways, right? We have all these different approaches to diet and dietary guidelines, you know, from the government and all these things, but who knows what's right for your body? We're all individual on the inside and you're unique. And so therefore your diet is going to be too. So when, um, really understanding that through there's testing that you can do to understand like how your body processes proteins, fats, and carbs to know what should your ratios be in regards to that. So like if the keto diet's not working for you or whole 30 or paleo, you know, maybe you're eating healthy foods, but those macronutrients are off um, a little bit. Understanding like for me, one of the uh, dietary approaches that I use is called metabolic typing. And that's understanding like, are you more sympathetic or more parasympathetic driven? So it was a difference of, I was eating white meat chicken all the time because I was trying to eat lean proteins when really my body does better with fattier cuts of meat. So dark meat chicken is better for me. And when I made that switch, 
my energy like instantly went up. I stopped having food cravings and I felt energized and satisfied for hours on end. So we can use these dietary theories out there as like a framework, whether that's paleo or whole 30, like I said, or keto or, you know, something else that you're using, but we can't always take it literally. And oftentimes when I work with clients, we use a blend of something like an autoimmune paleo diet blended with a keto diet. That's going to help them, you know, get the right, um, get rid of the inflammatory foods out of their diet, but then get the right macronutrients that are in. Um, into their system. And the second probably biggest like aha moment that I have and a lot of my clients have is running some of the functional lab tests that I run to identify the healing opportunities. So when diet and exercise aren't working for you, it's not that the diet isn't working or the exercise routine isn't working. It's usually because something under the hood is disconnected. So whether that's like toxic overload, hormone imbalances, chronic inflammation, something's going on internally. And when you resolve those things, oftentimes the diet and the exercise routine will work for you. Um, so that's where it's important to have pieces of information when you feel stuck. You want to investigate like, why am I stuck? Like what is holding me back? Is there something that's going on inside? And for me, one of the biggest things, and I would say that this is common across all of my clients, is um, a dysfunctional gut, you know, having a, a variation of leaky gut in a sense, if, if anyone's familiar with that term. And that's where I run a stool sample test to look at parasites, bacteria, yeast overgrowth that are contributing to chronic inflammation, stress, and toxicity in the body, and just destroying the, the gut lining. And then how do we resolve that and heal the gut? Because the gut is such an important aspect of our health. It's where we absorb nutrients. It's where our immune system lives. It's where we produce neurotransmitters, which are the hormones that regulate our mood. Um, it's also where we produce some of our sex hormones and other things that happen. There's just so many critical actions that take place as a result of the gut that we really, that's becoming such a center point to focus on in terms of healing. I mean, it's, it's coming up even more in mainstream media. We're talking about this, right? Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's rel relatively new. It's relatively new to mainstream. Um, you know, the podcasts and stuff I listen to that they've talked about, this has been research they've been doing for a really long time, but mm -hmm. now it's becoming popular. It, uh, put that in quotation marks. I mean, I guess because now people are talking about it more, but people listening might be thinking, well, gut health, I've heard a little bit about it, but what can I even do to help with that? Because we really are not trained. <laughs> we're, we're not given that information, right? We're, we're, we're told growing up, like you, you need to work out you need to eat right. You need to get some good sleep, you know, minimize your stress, but this is a whole nother ball game. It is a whole other ball game. And I was listening to a, a webinar the other day and talking, I mean, literally there's like a whole other ecosystem that's happening inside our body and the bacteria and things like that, like they have crazy control over what's happening in our body. Like bacteria, candida, yeast can literally like change the brain in some aspects, like they can cause cravings to happen or you to act crazy and do different things. So it's really something that we have to start paying more attention to. And I love that you asked this question because you're right. Like it's becoming more common 
um, or talked about in mainstream media, but there's not good information that's necessarily coming out. I saw some, you know, commercial the other day for some type of vitamin or supplement and they were highlighting the probiotic effects of it. And I'm like, oh gosh, like this is a marketing term and the microbiome is like a marketing term that people are just throwing out like crazy mm-hmm. to attract attention when they, it's not even this product is, is crap basically. But, um, when it comes to healing the gut, like I teach clients about a, a three prong approach. And the first thing is to fix the foods because if there's foods that you're eating that are causing inflammation or causing digestive distress um, or upset, that's going to contribute to that leaky gut process. And then the second part is to implement um, some gut healing uh, supplements and foods. So things like bone broth or maybe collagen peptides uh, can be really healing to the gut. Um, Supplementation like glutamine or fish oils, um, probiotics, those are the types of supplements that you might add in to actually help to restore the intestinal lining and, and protect it from further damage. And then the third part is really doing some investigation to understand, do you have parasite bacteria or yeast overgrowth that's going on in there? Because those organisms will just like I was talking about earlier, they will cause destruction. So you really got to pay attention to all three of those things. I hear a lot of people talk about the microbiome, which essentially microbiome means like the balance of your beneficial flora or bacteria that's going on in the gut, which is important. But if you have these toxic organisms like other bacteria, parasites, and yeast that's overgrowing, that's going to disrupt the microbiome. So you're never going to get a healthy microbiome if you have these toxic organisms that are living inside your system. And it's normal to have a small amount of these kind of more toxic organisms, but when they become an overgrowth is when they become a problem. And that's what we want to look at. And like, once you can get them under control and you restore the health of the gut, your body should be able to keep them within a normal low level all the time for long-term health. Well, what sort of things could cause those overgrowth? What are things that people are doing in their daily life that are causing those kind of overgrowths to happen? So, uh, some common things are like uh, maybe obvious things is sugar. So consumption mm-hmm. of sugar is going to directly feed a, a parasite bacteria or a yeast. Inflammatory foods in general or things that are high in simple carbs. So like your, you know, your pastas, your rices sometimes, like um, foods that may be just high in sugar in terms of their nutritional components can be a problem. Also, uh, toxins, medication use, whether that's over-the-counter or prescription drugs, because they strip the intestinal lining and they suppress our immune system, and our immune system is supposed to be able to fight these things off. Um, Also, stress. So mental, emotional stress is a big factor, and we all know that in our society these days, we're just under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure to meet deadlines and traffic and all different kinds of things that are going on. And uh, stress triggers these different types of bacteria or organisms to create something called biofilm, which is like a protective layer um, that encapsulates them and it makes it harder to get them to get rid of them. And then they increase in their strength and numbers as a result of that. Um, And also poor sleep routines or poor sleep habits uh, because again, it's suppressing the immune system oftentimes. So whenever the immune system is suppressed, then 
it, pre it creates an environment for these, you know, organisms to overgrow, basically. You mentioned inflammatory foods. And I know from the research I've done and the things that I've, I listened to, like different podcasts and stuff, inflammatory foods aren't always one size fits all. Like, um, it seems like everybody's body's a little different. So how can we discover what foods are inflammatory to us? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like, I look at it, there's, there's some foundational ones that are going to be inflammatory for everybody, regardless of who you are. And that's the big ones are like gluten, dairy, um, sugar. And then I add soy in there because soy is so genetically modified and just laced with pesticides and things like that, that can be inflammatory. So those are the big ones that no matter who you are, they, they generally are contributing to inflammation in the body. And then to understand any other foods, you would want to do like a food sensitivity test. And there's different types of food sensitivity tests out there. And I'm not talking about a food allergy test. There's a difference between food allergies, which means that you have like an anaphylactic reaction to it, like a bee sting almost, or like a peanut allergy where your face blows up. Um, uh, versus having a food sensitivity. And a food sensitivity usually evolves as a result of chronic inflammation that's already happening and having a leaky gut. So we have a leaky gut. That means that the uh, gut lining is uh, it's permeable. It's not as strong. It's not providing the screen for us that it should be in terms of toxins. So when we have a leaky gut, food particles can cross into the bloodstream and then the body goes, well, what the heck is this in the bloodstream? It's not supposed to be here. And it attacks that food particle. So here you have a piece of tomato that pass into the bloodstream, your body attacks it. And now all of a sudden you're producing antibodies to tomatoes and you have a food sensitivity to tomatoes. So we can do some testing to look at you know, what foods are you producing antibodies to? And then we can eliminate those foods for a period of time to reduce inflammation, to allow the body to heal. And then ideally you should be able to reintroduce most of those foods back into your, your body. So with inflammatory foods, like you mentioned, or like gluten and sugar and stuff like that, does this mean like we can never have these things. Cause I know that's what people, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm thinking, but I know that's what other people are probably thinking. Listening is like, am I never ever allowed to have like this yummy dessert with dinner or is it like, you know, once in a great while? What, what is it? What is it? Yeah. And that really is going to be dependent on the person. So one of the concepts that I teach my clients is about, um, understanding the burden of stress that your body is under at any point in time, because that's going to directly um, factor into how impactful that food is on your body in that instance. So let's take gluten, for example. So there's research that shows that, you know, whether it's one bite or one slice of bread, um, if you, if your, your body is compromised by stress at any degree, that one bite of gluten can cause damage in the intestinal tract for up to three to six months. So if you think about like all of us have some degree of stress that's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Some of us have more than others. And if you're really, if you're in a really stressful place and you have that bite of gluten, it's going to be way more detrimental to you than if you're in a, a lower place of stress, right? And also the cumulative factor. So knowing that 
that one bite can cause this damage for three to six months. Well, if you're giving yourself a treat like once a month or once a week, it's this buildup that's happening where like your body's never getting an opportunity to heal with it. So um, I kind of guide people on, you know, I'm a realist too. And I, uh, I, I love to travel. So like, I always play this game with myself. Like, is it worth it? Is this a once in a lifetime opportunity? Am I in Italy and like the most amazing pasta or pizza or bread is sitting in front of me? And like, I'm never, this is not an opportunity that I would have really on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. I'm probably going to eat that gluten. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also going to take care of my body as it responds to it. So knowing that that's going to create a little bit extra stress and I'm going to be really mindful about getting to bed on time and not intensely exercising maybe that day or the next day and being super good about my meditation and, and de-stressing for the day and taking my supplements that are going to support my body's recovery from that process. So making conscious decisions really um, is how I like to approach that aspect of it because Sure, you can have these foods from time to time, but um, make sure that you're present and you're enjoying it, that you're not just like mindlessly eating it, and that it's, it's really worth it knowing the damage or um, the insult that it could potentially create in your body, really. I like how you brought up that it's a cumulative effort, because um, if you think about it, say we go out with, with our girlfriends for cocktails and we decide we're going to have a couple glasses of wine. Well, now we have a buzz on and now we have the munchies and we really want that dessert. Well, that's a second thing. So alcohol is already the thing that is um, causing a burden for your body, even though it's delicious and many people love it, including me. We have to know that it is something that um, does cause a burden to our body. Well, then now you're having the dessert. Well, now you're staying up way past your bedtime and you're not getting enough sleep. So you have all these things that are like combining and it's like one powerful punch where if you just went and had the two glasses of wine with your girlfriend, skipped the dessert, you know, went to bed and got home in time to go to bed on time, that alcohol may not be as, as harmful as it could be when you're doing it all at once. Totally. And typically I love that scenario because what do we do the next morning? Usually as we get up and we beat ourselves up about what we ate and what we drank. So we go hit the gym really hard, which just adds more insult to injury. Your body is now super depleted from the alcohol robbing you of nutrients and then the sugar that you had and um, you're dehydrated and all those things. And that's like the opposite effect. Like you should actually just hydrate and sleep really. But um, yeah, it's, it's, and you know what I find too, Megan, is that people tend to get caught up in that. What it really comes down to is that they're not allowing themselves enough joy in their day-to-day -day lives. So when they do go out with their girlfriends, it's like a full-on like binge or splurge on themselves um, because they just don't allow enough of it on a daily basis. So they're like, I've worked hard all week. I haven't taken any breaks. So I'm going to go out and just like crush it with my girlfriends on a Friday or Saturday night and let loose. Right. <laughs> I used to tell my 
fitness clients all the time is like, well, that, that cheat meal may not be as very harmful, but if you think, if you decide like that is my one day to go like balls to the wall, you could literally eat your entire calories in a day in a cheat meal. Okay. <laughs> like, it is completely possible. I know. Cause I've done it. <laughs> I mean, it only takes like what, like three or four slices of pizza and like a couple of drinks and you're done pretty much. And so I think a lot of times, like you said, instead of allowing like throughout the week, we're, we're not beating ourselves up. We're just going with the flow. We're adding joy along the way. You know, we're not just waiting for that one opportunity or that one night or the weekend to come so I can do all or eat all and have all these things. It won't be as much. And you know, if you, you know, aren't depriving yourself of like, not until my best friend's birthday, am I going to have that glass of wine? Well, then you're going to drink like two bottles of wine. But if Mm -hmm. like you allow yourself a glass or two of wine every now and then when you want one, you really, it's, it's, it's really not going to be as bad as like that one night where you binge and now you've wiped out like your entire gut floor. <laughs> you're hungover and you sleep like crap. And you, I, I mean, that's, I think that's what a lot of people do. Like you said, they just take it. And instead of allowing for a little bit here and there, they just, it's all in this one event. And it, it's just a really overloads our body. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, I, I see people that do this all the time. Like they binge on self-care on the weekends, but they just don't do anything during the week. So it's this, mm-hmm. this buildup that happens and then this release and this buildup and release and buildup and release. And one of the things that um, I think people need to like kind of realize when it comes to their health or that's really a huge aha moment when I say this is that, our body can only heal in a relaxed state. So if you're mm. never relaxing like mon- you know, Monday through Thursday or till five o'clock on Friday, like there's no opportunity for your body to be healing. If we're constantly moving throughout the day and doing all of these things all the time, our body's not healing. And then we think that we're offsetting that on the weekends, but that's, that's really not the case because then we're we're still doing things. We're still creating this stress because when we're binging on things like girls nights out or like date nights and dinners um, versus if we can just infuse a little bit more self-care and flexibility and freedom and like our daily routine, that's going to support our body more on a daily basis and for the longevity of our life, you know? Yeah. I love how you, you pointed that out and that we need to relax. I always tell my clients Uh, Because I primarily work with busy women and help them be the best versions of themselves right now, like right where they are right now, not like five years from now when they have a different job and their kids are older, you know, because that's a whole different scenario, but like right now. And I see a lot of times it's this hustle mentality that we have to go, 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 go. And we don't stop until we burn out or we only stop on the weekends, but we don't give ourselves that ample opportunity throughout the week to actually rest. Rest is just as important as movement for Mm -hmm. our bodies. We need that time to relax and and, and not just when you're sleeping, but that relax to kind of like woosah and get Zen with yourself and, and not be worrying about this thing and that thing and stressing out about everything in your life, but actually having that moment and, time where you can just be like, everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm just relaxing right now. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, that's, we create our own chaos. You know, I, I often will tell my clients, I'm like, you don't work in an emergency room. I I don't have any clients that actually work in an emergency room. Mm -hmm. So if you do work in an emergency room, this is a different scenario for you, but nobody is going to die. If you don't send that email, if you don't respond right now, or, you know, if you don't schedule that meeting, like right away or get there on time, we create this sense of urgency that doesn't actually really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we create our own expectations and our own deadlines. And we, we, the way that we respond to situations then sets expectations for other people where now they're expecting us to respond immediately or to respond mm-hmm. to situations in a certain kind of way. And we're really just doing it to ourselves. And it's an evolution of how our society has developed and technology and all these things. And I love how you say like the Zen aspect, like even if you stopped for, you know, five minutes, three times a day to do some deep breathing, which automatically flips the switch in your brain and takes you out of the fight or flight stress mode and into um, parasympathetic, like the rest and digest mode, that's 15 more minutes a day that your body got to heal outside of your sleeping routine where a lot can happen in that place. And 10 out of 10 times, I will tell clients, if you have to choose between enough time to exercise and to sleep, I will always tell you to sleep because yes, <laughs> in my eyes, like sleep is actually for your hormone balance, for so many other things, like sleep is actually more important than exercise and diet in some, in some ways. Um, so it's just a huge, important component. And look at how many highly successful professional people, business women, men are burning the midnight oil. You know, they're because they have kids or whatnot, they're up doing work like super late at night um, and then going to bed and getting up early and doing it all over again. And the most critical time for your body to be sleeping is from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. If you're missing that window of time, you're disrupting the um, natural circadian hormonal rhythm of the body. And no matter how much you sleep in the next day or on the weekends, you never get that time back. So if there is one thing that your listeners can take away from today in terms of what you can do for your health, it's to sleep between the hours of 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. as many nights a week as you can. Yes. And I have a wonderful book that I recommend to everybody, which is Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. It is like the sleep Bible. (laughs) He like breaks it all down. And even if you are somebody saying working in an emergency room or working overnight, he does say, I mean, sometimes that's unavoidable. We do need doctors working in an emergency room in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? He actually gives tips in there to help maximize the quality sleep you can get. Now, he does also say in there, if you don't have a a legitimate excuse not to be sleeping during that time, you better have your butt in bed. (laughs) And I agree. Sleep is so crucial for every function. It's the thing that people overlook. And when you do see successful people who are burning the midnight oil, that's not sustainable. It only takes watching them for a couple years. They burn out. And then what happens if you are the person, so so, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, I'm also a mom, full-time student, military, but all these things. Uh, If I can't function at my highest level or I can't function at all because I get so sick and burn out, I can't do any of those things. I'm Mm -hmm. not capable of being the mom to my children or the wife my husband needs or the, the coach my clients need or showing up to this podcast 
None of that will happen if I don't take care of myself first. But we often just put ourselves in the back burner for everybody else. And that is, that's causing so much stress. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that this is where I like to infuse, and it sounds like you do too, like the spiritual component, right? Um, and that if we have a spiritual practice of some sort, it can be any kind of spiritual practice. Um, every spiritual practice gives you this sense of all is going to be well, like everything kind of happens for a reason that you're supported by whatever higher power that you believe in and everything's going to be okay. So we have that spiritual practice in place and it allows us to let go of the urgency in a sense so that we can make ourselves more of a priority. And I love just this week, one of my mentors, um, Kundalini yoga is part of my spiritual practice. And she was talking about, um, she gave the example of you know, people who are practicing like a, a sobriety program. And in sobriety, in the 12-step programs, they say that, you know, my sobriety has to come first. And when I have my sobriety, I get to have all of the other things. I get to have the husband, the kids, the house, all those other things. And, and the way that I interpret it is like, really is just when I make myself a priority, when I take care of myself, it elevates my energy, my happiness. And then I get to have all the other things. Like I'm a better wife. I'm a, I'm a better mother. I'm a better friend. I do better work in that place. So that's like, it's a hard shift to make um, mentally sometimes for people. But once you start to make the shift and you, and you create the positive feedback loop, like in your body and your brain, it becomes a no brainer you know, where it's like in any given situation, I'm constantly evaluating like, what do I need right now? Because if I take care of myself, it's going to outwardly positively affect everybody else involved in this situation. Yeah. And like you said earlier, we're setting the bar for how other people are going to treat us. Well, if we're treating ourselves like crap, we're not taking care of ourselves. We're putting ourselves in the back burner and second to everybody else. Even if people aren't doing it consciously, they're going to start to you know, subconsciously see that and start treating us the same way because we're not setting that bar very high for people to treat us well. But mm -hmm. if we start taking care of ourselves, paying ourselves as a priority, it's going to repel those people who, who don't like that, who see that as being selfish or stupid or whatever they think. And it's actually going to attract those people into our lives who two also are like, wow, she's like radiating this positivity and this self-care and I love being around her and she's awesome. It, we're really setting that bar for how mm -hmm. people treat us and how the world, how the world shows up for us. 100%. And that's the, probably the most important key to changing your health is learning to make yourself more of a priority because the reason that you landed in poor health in the first place is because you weren't making yourself a priority. You weren't paying attention to the signals that your body was giving you. You weren't making food choices that were in alignment with what your body needed. You weren't getting to sleep on time. Like all these things like that cumulative factor that we were talking about earlier of not making yourself a priority has landed you in a poor health situation. And we know that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So if we want to change the way of our health, we also have to change who we are being in life and in this world and to ourselves in order to have those long-term sustainable results. If we just change our diet, but don't change our behaviors or how we're treating ourselves or what we say to ourselves when we look in the mirror, um, it's never going to stick ever. Yeah. Speaking of diet, what are some good 
foods to help with your gut health? Yes. I, um, so it's really dependent, like different, a little bit different for everybody else. I mentioned a few earlier and, you know, I'll say that these are not absolutes because it's really based on how your body works. But in general, uh, bone broth, the more that you can incorporate bone broth into your diet, it's full of so many minerals and nutrients and amino acids that help to restore the gut health, um, gut health and intestinal lining. And just know that bone broth is different than regular stock. So if you see mm-hmm. like just something that says chicken broth, that's not bone broth. You want it to actually say chicken bone broth is one of them. Uh, collagen, which is a really big kind of up and coming thing in the supplement world these days. So you can get collagen peptides. That's kind of a, a food additive in a sense as well. Um, eating a lot of healthy fats. So really kind of maybe reducing your carbohydrate intake if that works for you. Um, in general, 80% of the population does better on a higher fat and protein diet anyways. And there's like a small segment of the population, about 20% that does better on a higher carbohydrate diet. So um, eating more proteins and fats, they have the amino acids, um, they are less disruptive to the blood sugar system. Also, um, to help restore the intestinal lining or give it the nutrients that it needs, fermented foods. So your, you know, your yogurts, and I always aim for dairy-free yogurts, like a coconut yogurt, almond milk yogurt, uh, sauerkraut is another type of fermented food. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I love sauerkraut. Kimchi is another one. I mean, you can ferment all different types of vegetables. So every single different type of fermented food will have a different combination of good probiotics or good bacteria in it. So one of the kind of rules of thumbs that I'll give my client is like, you know, get somewhere between three to five different varieties of fermented foods in your home, whether that's yogurt, and then you have sauerkraut, which is traditionally made with cabbage, or you get fermented beets or fermented carrots, um, and kind of rotate through that. So one day you're going to have a bite of yogurt, and then tomorrow it's sauerkraut, and the next day it's maybe the fermented beets, because every single time you're getting hundreds of thousands of different strains from each different type of um, fermented food that help to colonate and fluorate that good microbiome, basically. I love that. And this is where we have to wrap up the podcast. It goes by super quick, but I feel like everybody's gotten so much amazing information and all of your links and everything will be uh, hooked up in the show notes, inspiredwomenpodcast.com. But if there's one thing that you would like to leave my audience with, what would you want them to know? I think that I I just want them to know that... um, if you're, if you're not feeling like yourself in any kind of way, you're not crazy. So there's nobody that knows your body better than you. And you may go to a doctor or other health professionals that tell you that everything looks fine, but you know intuitively if there's something that's not right. And I, and I know that because I've been in that position where I had health professionals that told me, oh, that's just normal or everything's fine. I'll just keep an eye on it. And I was like, no, I just... I know what it feels like to feel like myself and this doesn't feel like myself. And that's really where, you know, my motto is like, don't settle for anything less than what you deserve when it comes to your health and wellness. There is somebody out there that can help you find the answers, whether it's somebody like me or a different uh, health professional out there or a different type of coach. So keep working and striving towards that because you deserve to feel your best all the time, every single day and to live life to the fullest. 
I absolutely agree. We need to remember that health is a whole person approach. And a lot of times not to bash primary care physicians, but they're focusing on the symptom, not the cause of the symptom, like the whole body. It, it, it might not just be, because, you know, that one, they're like, oh, you have diabetes. Let me give you this insulin to help with your diabetes. Well, why is the diabetes there? What is causing the diabetes? And, and that doesn't seem to be, some health professionals are coming around to that, but that's, we're not there yet. And so we also need to know our mental health affects our physical health. Our physical health affects our mental health. Our emotional health affects the whole being. So it's a whole being approach. And I want people to take away, I hope they realize that with our conversation, that we aren't just focusing on one piece of you. You got to focus on the whole you. The whole you. And I would say, channel your inner two-year-old and you know two-year-olds are known for continuously asking questions right why mommy why so when you get slapped with the diagnosis of some sort like ask continually ask why want to understand it because your body didn't wake up like you don't have headaches because of an aspirin deficiency as one of my mentors talks about all the time <laughs> So it's not like your body just decided to wake up today and have a hormone imbalance either. Keep asking the question why until you get to the answer and understand all the pieces that affected it. So channel that channel the inner two-year-old. <laughs> well, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspire Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspire Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.